The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. You may know about good to great, but after great, what's the next level? Where do you take your company next? To answer that question, Jeff Hazlett. Jeff, how are you, man? Welcome to the show. Man, that's a great intro. I love that intro. You got a good voice too. That's a good oh, voice. That's that a radio voice. You've got a good voice. I've learned a lot from you being around you for a long time. So oh, um, good to great. That's a famous book and everything. Oh, a lot absolutely. of companies have read this book. Yep. And you kind of go to some other level. So let's talk about what the good to great level is. Just summarize it real quick. Well, that's been one of the greatest books ever written, you know, and talks about the five levels of success or the way you lose success and, and the differences for companies, you know, in terms of just falling off the edge. And the difference is, you know, I was approached a number of years ago by a guy that sold his business for $20 billion. And he set aside a certain percentage of the company for his employees, making the single largest number of millionaires ever created in one day. And thus became the Hero Club. And, and I started looking at companies with values and what set these companies apart, guys like Rob Ryan's company. And I found out that the key thing was they had values. You know, there's a lot of kind of companies out there. There's these, you know, good or great companies. There's wannabes, you know, they just don't quite have all it needs to take to get to that good or great level. And then there's good coasts that these guys are just right there, but they're just not great yet. And then you've got things like wannabes. Wannabes are those kind of companies that would really love to make it happen. And then a couple other levels you have, like in terms of bottom liners and ass hats and do-gooders, you know, do-gooders, you know, have great values, but no money. But hero companies, hero companies are based in values and they make great profits. They make great sales. In fact, better than the average. They have employees who are more engaged and happier. They have customers who love them more and they have vendors who want to do business with them all because they have stated values. And that's the big difference. So companies that really state their values, 28%, Joel, 28% of employees that work at a company don't even know what the company stands for. It's nuts. It's nuts. How would you like to have all your employees that work for you don't know what you do? Well, I listen, uh, how many presidents of companies know what their own mission statement is? So well, there you go right there. Yeah. But that's because they're written so badly. Most of the time, they, they just don't have clarity. Yeah, so but they should, example. Should, by the way, it shouldn't just be about written. It should be something you feel. Yeah. I believe in this kind of stuff. And I think that it's got to be a mantra. It's got to be simple. You have to say it over and over again. You say it all the time. People have to understand it. 
They have little signs and posters in their office. I mean, it goes on and on. You got to drink it. It's like Kool-Aid. It's like yeah. you got to drink the Kool-Aid every day, you know, every day, every single day. So like what scotch. Are some it's like drinking like scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that every day. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I almost do. I think I do. Yeah. Well, listen, we don't have to go into that, but give give me some examples. What are some examples of values that companies have that really are inspiring? Yeah. Like you won't ship a product unless it's, it's just absolutely right. You know, and that you allow every employee in your operation to decide whether or not you can shut down the line right there. I mean, that's, that's, that's two. I've, I've been, I've lived those examples. I mean, I can sit there. I was in orange County, uh, just down the road from me one time working as a company, I was president of a company, not the, not the CEO president. And I remember one of our employees raised his hand and said, can I, I see we're shipping stuff out just to get it out because it's the end of the month. And there's no way that should go out because it's not, it doesn't have all the components in it. You know, we're putting the box together. We're putting the computer together. We were an integrator at the time. And, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, why would you send something out that's not right? And, and he felt so much pressure to get products out the door so that we could get the, you know, the billing or the number that month or that quarter that they were just shoving stuff in a box and getting it out. Knowing that full well, that's going to come back or they're going to have to deal with it in customer service or whatever. And, and I thought, wow, you know, when the CEO said, no, you sh- you should be able to say, call a timeout and say, we're not shipping this crap. We're going to do it the right no. way. And I, I thought that was awesome. That was one of the most empowering examples I ever saw. I, I got to say that uh, that just sounds to anyone any third party, it sounds like common sense, but it's not common practice, obviously. No, you got companies every day. I mean, look at, oh, let's go look at Wells Fargo. I love Wells Fargo. I think it's a great, has been a great company. It started with a stagecoach and moving stuff around and years and years ago, 150, almost 200 years ago. And yet look what it became. They were doing deals and, and signing up accounts under your name, my name, and millions of other names just to hit quota because that's what the management team was pushing for. That's outrageous. People should go to jail for that. People yeah. should go to jail for that. And, and you would think, well, how can you do that? Why, why would you do something like that? Like, no one's going to find out. Well, eventually they did find out, but it took a lot, a lot of time. But that's an, to me, that's an example of an asset company. That's an example of, of a company that isn't rooted in values. That's a big problem. Well, so they lose their way. Can they find their way back? I mean, it's expensive to find your way back. Yeah, but it certainly can be expensive, but it's more expensive to not find your way back, right? And to wander in the wilderness, you know, that's not a good, well, good experience. Well, not well, to imagine what it costs you in cost. Imagine what it's going to cost. How many millions of dollars this cost them? Millions. Well, and what about the advertising, the correction, the PR, the, uh, the damage control? I mean, all the stuff. Yeah, I'll do just the energy, the energy behind trying to correct something that you shouldn't have done in the first place. Right. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, doing it right the first time, just like your grandmother said, just like your mom said, just like your dad says, you know, just do it right the first time. Job done. Well, right. Know, I, done, I look, these, these, done these, things are, these things are easier said than done. You know, do it right the first time. Make sure you send stuff out right. What are the things that have to happen? For that, because, you know, you got 100,000 people working in a company or you have 100 people working in a company for the CEOs and, and, and senior people that are listening to this program. What are some of the things that have to happen yeah. for, you just, you for, just for it to come to life properly? Yeah, you just hit it, man. There's two things I think that are real critical. And there's a lot of other sub things. But the two biggest things is first, and, and I even did this in my own company. I'm sitting there reading the audio version of my book which I know is going to be good because we pre-sold hundreds of thousands of copies. We, you know, doing it right, the hero factor. And here I am reading the audio version of my book and I'm going, I'm not worthy. I'm not living all the values I should be. 
and I'm writing the book. Meaning, do all my employees do it the same way I do it? Do they do it with the same intensity? So the first thing I did was at the beginning of this year, I got everybody together and said, let's reevaluate our mission statement. Are we living the mission statement? And the answer was no. And I went, fantastic. Then what should it be? And then we all came together. We all worked together on it. And now we built an operating principle around that. We're focused in on that. We're having workshops on it. We're getting together on a regular basis. And then people are are being empowered to make that happen. So the first thing is to be able to state it and to know what your walkaway values are. Not a lot of people think about that. What would be the walk away value that you would walk away from business or walk away from employee, walk away from a relationship? So, you know, get into those really heavy, heavy kinds of discussions and they're not easy to have. But by the way, by doing that as a team, you can all start start to pick out, you know, some bad eggs and you can start out picking out some really good people. And then the other thing I think is really important. I said there was two. So one is state the values live them, right? And the second one is to pick a side. Pick a side. But what's your business going to be like? I don't care if you're a, a bottom line or like a Walmart or, or GE, where they're really just focused on the bottom line. That's, that's okay. I wouldn't want to operate a company like that. But I have been in companies where we've had to do that. And I have worked in companies where that happened, but I'm not going to stay there for long or be a good co or be a wannabe or be a do-gooder. Or what I think is easiest and best is to be a hero company. Because I do think doing it right the first time and doing it right you know, every time is a lot better than half-ass and a lot better than trying to catch up and do it later. I really, truly believe. Now, or do your best, or at least do your best. And once you do your best, then know that next time you go back and do it again, you can do it again better and again better, and you have continuous improvement because it's about adapt, change, or die. But, you know, these things are not mutually exclusive. Being a profit-oriented company and doing it right the first time, you know, actually, in, in the short run, maybe you make a little bit less, but in the long run, you make a tremendous amount more. Yeah. Well, think about wealth. You know this. You're a big money guy, Joel. Wealth isn't just measured in money. No. No, yeah, wealth not. is wealth is measured in the respect of my employees, by my engagement with my customers, the loyalty of my customers, my relationship with vendors and suppliers who want to do business with me. I mean, you know, I just signed a big contract for a couple hundred thousand dollars for a sponsorship for our hero network. And, you know, and the company's telling me they're going to pay me in 120 days. And, you know, I'm going, no, I don't want to do business with you. You got to pay at least half the contract within 30 days. And they said, well, we don't do that. And I said, well, I'm not doing business. Well, why? I said, because I'm halfway through the year and I've already done all this work and I'm not getting paid. And we know that you're not going to pay me within 120 days. It's going to be a little bit longer because we know what this is like, right? So you have to choose, you have to pick a side. So I said, nope, not doing it. Well, listen, uh, we all know anybody, anybody that's been in business for any period of time knows that the most powerful word in the English language, the most powerful word that a negotiator has is the word no. Yeah. And when you say no, uh, you know, and listen, one of the things I always talk about, and this is, you know, we talk about the inside track, the inside track to be in a great company is to have values and do some stuff. But I'll tell you what, once you establish those values, then you have to put in place your business rules, the way that companies do business with you. Because if you don't put those business rules in place, if you don't make the system work for you, you know, rig the system in your direction, then you're going to get walked on and you're not going to be successful in, in no matter what you do. Yeah. See, I call those operating principles and we make a list of those. We have two pages of them, you know, where we just kind of operate. We put them right down and we just talk about what we're going to do. And, and everything down to like, um, you know, just because you send me an email doesn't mean I accepted it, you know. 
just because you sent the email doesn't mean I accepted it, right? You have to have a, a mutual agreement of conditions of satisfaction before we do those kind of things. We, we put in things like that into our operating agreement so we, that we can kind of say how we want to work together as a team. And I think that's an important piece, you know, and I'm not the most, as you well know, I'm not the most touchy feely kind of guy. But, you know, you know, I'm a pretty straightforward kind of guy, but but I do have certain ways I like to do things. And and I like to make sure that everybody understands that, because just because I do it one way or a certain way doesn't mean somebody else is going to do it that way. Well, as long as you, you put it out there and people know what you're doing, it's OK. They can because then they have the right to say yes or no. Yeah, sure. The same thing. I'm more similar to you. Not everybody likes me, but the people that do like me a lot. And they just like my style or they like your style, whatever. And that's a, and, and other people can go have other kind of friends. And fly, fly a kite, go fly. Do whatever They can do whatever they want. You know, listen, and that's, that's part of becoming more successful is you have the ability to uh, say no is really, which is a luxury that some people don't have, but those principles and those guidelines and, and the operating rules that you have, uh, do you publish those on your website? Are they public? No, we don't. We don't uh, publish it. We just live it. I mean, that's that's the key thing is to live it. But we've never published them. We publish amongst ourselves and we review them on a regular basis, uh, at least now. You know, there were the same ones that I came up with you know, a few years ago when we kind of kicked off the C-suite network. But I never had really revisited much. Um, but we're spending a lot more time training and spending more time with our team to make sure that we understand it because the faster we work inside of those things, we can work like a fine-tuned team. You know, it's like your first year professional football team, you come together and you're not practicing, you're going to fumble the ball a lot or throw bad passes and no one's there to catch them or, or miss blocks. Well, the more that you can fine-tune and practice together, the more you develop your own cadence and language. And so for us, it's a, that's our own cadence and language. I, you know, we certainly could share them, but I don't know if they'd get this much value, but the, you know, the way we treat people and we live it every day, I think that's, that's how they see it. They see it that way. Well, you know, the reason I, I sort of think that it's a good idea to share and not share maybe your operating principles, that's, that's internal material, but here's the kind of company we are. And this is the kind of people that we show up as, and this is the kind of people we get along best with. And, you know, and, and this is the kind of people we expect our customers to be. And this is how we're going to treat our customers. I, I think there's a lot of value to putting that out there in a public way. Well, we state that in terms of our mission and the way in which we serve our customers. And, you know, we kind of do it with a, what we call a C-suite attitude. Is it C-suite worthy? That's one of the values that we have. You know, uh, when we do something, is it C-suite worthy? That's exactly how we say that value and or operating principle. And so because we want to make sure now we define what that is. And of course, that's got its own brand attributes that are part of that. But we think it's rich. It's high level. It's very hands on. You know, it's very with the servant mentality. So we do it that way. But I don't Yeah, that's a good it's a good be interesting. I've never had that real discussion about should we put that out there like that in a certain way, you know, it kind of forces you to be even more accountable. You know, yeah. one of the things that I've always found, I talk about cause causes, you know, people working to make the world a better place. And that doesn't necessarily mean curing world hunger. I mean, it could, it could just make it, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, it, it doesn't matter. It's up to you. But I've always felt that when you have a cause-based activity, which is not that different from values-based, it makes it easier for customers to want to work with you. And the people that do want to work with you become uh, much more committed to whatever it is that you're working toward. And then you end up with more sales and more revenue and more everything. And so yep. uh, I'm in sync with this. I mean, I, I think that people need to adopt this kind of, of attitude because it works. 
Yeah, I like the value base and I'm okay with cause as well. Cause typically is around one direction, one attribute or one real result that you're trying to do. But I mean, you can make it fairly broad. But I do think the values, because when your value is based, then, you know, as you make more money, as you do really well, you can decide what you want to do with that money and how you want to share it. I mean, I mentioned Rob Ryan when he sold the company for $20.4 billion, you know, made the single largest number of millionaires ever created in one day. That's how the Hero Club got started by employees running up to Rob and his wife, Terry, who was the chief legal officer at the time and saying, Mr. Ryan, Mrs. Ryan, you don't know me, but I'm the janitor and and I can send my kids to college. You're my hero. Or I'm the night watchman and my, my mother-in-law's got cancer. And I can pay for the operation. You know, you're my hero. And so they decided that they wanted to teach other people how to do it. And so they, they created this thing called the Hero Club. And they built it for a while, but can never get to huge amounts of numbers, you know. And so so we took it over about a year and a half ago, and now we've got about 10x the numbers and growing at a higher speed this year. So we're pretty excited. Listen, you've got a pretty fascinating operation. You've got a lot of different operating units. You've got a lot of different things going on. Tell us a little bit about what your your core business is, the C-suite network and the, the, all the different assets that you guys have, because you really, you really have built something that's pretty impressive. Yeah, we tried to, you know, focus when we first got started to be a community for the C-suite network, you know, that we were a community. And then we, we realized, no, nah, that's not really, that's not really going to develop the way we like. But what, what are we at, at our real core? And that's this, you know, the self, the self-inflection that we did in our experience that we did in terms of looking at ourselves. We really are a platform. We're a platform for those that serve the C-suite and of advisors and products and services and then members themselves, the people in the C-suite. And we're talking about content, everything. So, so we have, you know, the C-suite network, which is made up of various organizations and groups and members that, that want to access services and products, advice, content. We have C-suite TV, C-suite radio, C-suite book club, C-suite academy, and soon to be some more C-suite things coming down the pike around a speaker's bureau and, and some coaching software that we've got coming and a lot of other pieces that, that kind of come together. And we have lots of events, as you know, we'll, we do over 60 events, uh, just physical events, not to mention the digital events that we have. And then we, we have a concierge. That's our services, you know, whether we do them ourselves or whether we have partners that fulfill them, you know, because uh, we have a lot of great partners out there like Voicera and KPMG and Profit.co and, and MD Live and so many others that are really good for us. Yeah, you guys have done a great job of putting together really a whole market basket full of stuff that both people that serve the C-suite environment and also the C-suite people themselves could tap into. I mean, just great resources, great tools, which has been just awesome. What do you think about some of these uh, C-suite guys? I mean, do you find that that they reach out for help or do you find that they get a little bit isolated? Well, you, you do get isolated. You know, I've been a fortune 100 officer and you know, everybody thinks it's so busy, but it, you know, it's actually quite quiet, you know, when you're in your office because no one has access to your floor. So you sit in kind of an isolated ivory castle or whatever they might call that. And you're surrounded by security and, and everything else. So you don't get to always see everybody in a, you know, like you get to, to wander around the halls. That would just freak people out when C-level officers start walking through. Walk, they, it really does. It just freaks people out. Like, oh my God. I can remember, you know, when I was a CMO of Kodak showing up at one of the buildings and they said, you're the first officer I've ever met in my entire career. You know, it was like, wow, which to me was sad, but that's another thing. But do they reach out? Absolutely. But they tend to reach out to people they trust. And it's a fairly small circle. You know, it's a fairly small community when you think about it. There are more people playing professional football than there are C-suite 1,000 officers. 
1,000. Yeah, when you think of when you think about Fortune 1000, there's only 5,000. There's more people playing football today. Wow. Uh, certainly more people playing baseball. So when you think about that, that's a pretty elite elite community. If you're a Fortune 100 officer like I was, wow, it's even more elite. That's the top 500. You know. So where do these people go for help? How do people that that provide services to these organizations? I mean, how do they break into these? environments. I mean, what are some of their options? Well, a lot of them are, are homegrown. A lot of them are bought in. Like I was bought in, meaning I was selling companies and that's how I got into uh, Fortune 100 was selling companies and, you know, they recognized the value of, of what I was doing and, and asked me to come on board and that which which I was very honored to do and I always wanted to do that. So a lot of them are, are again, homegrown. But, you know, when they go and look for people, they're looking for people like them. So, you know, that's how I got started with the C-Suite Network. I thought, man, how can I duplicate some of the things that I had when I was there where I could pick up the phone? When you're a C-level exec, you know, at a multi-billion dollar company, like we were 150 billion at the time. And, you know, I'm managing a budget of 17 billion just in marketing. And there's not a lot of people to go look around to say that that are like you, right? So I always had the saying, billion dollar companies do business with billion dollar companies. You know, yeah. and so yeah. that's what would happen. And when I was like doing NASCAR or IndyCar or the Olympics, well, of course, I knew the officers of those groups or, you know, I was the focus executive for Apple. So I used to deal with Steve Jobs all the time, you know, because we were suing them. They were suing us all the time. So I was, we were the back doors to each other and or the CEO of, of Xerox or president of, of Disney and things like that. You just have those relationships because of the business that you do. But again, it's a very lonely thing. I I mean, Joe, it's interesting because now you're getting me thinking about how many times I used to see my CEO in a month. I might see the CEO twice in a month. Wow. And that was usually when we had our face-to-face meetings that we used to do as a team. And many times that wasn't the case. It would be I was in India and had to call in in the middle of the night. Or I was in China and had to call in during the day when, you know, it was always those kinds of things that we would do. I used to, you know, get up in the morning in Rochester and, or at night and fly to Germany and then meet all day and fly back in the same day. So you, hey, you so, things uh, like that all the time. So are there any strategies or secrets or tricks to get some of these people on the phone? When you want if to get somebody got, on the phone, you got any ideas? Yeah, well, stalk them. I mean, that's the best thing is to stalk them wherever they are. You know, find out what trade shows they're going to, what events they're going to, and and be there. That's one. Uh, Two, find out who those people are that are around them that are the influencers. You know, I'm an old political guy. I remember I used to get to members of Congress by finding out who their dentist was or their doctor was, you know, and that's you would influence the dentist or the doctor because when they got their hands in their mouth or somewhere else, you know, they got a big influence on them. So, you know, you know, you think about that. But the other thing is just pick up the phone. I mean, this, let me give you a good example. As you know, I was on Celebrity Apprentice for three years as a, as a celebrity judge. And of course, a sponsor of that show. And I got that just by picking up the phone. We were sitting around in my conference room, you know, because I had my own conference room off my office. And it was a big one, mahogany line wood. I mean, there was only four executives on that entire floor. That's it. Four of us. And each of us had a couple secretaries and assistants and so forth. So it was kind of our own little king. This is an ivory tower, man. So anyway, we were sitting there. We were talking about how we we're going to market this new printer that we had. And we were brainstorming. And somebody said, well, we should put it on that apprentice show. That seems like a pretty good thing. And then they could fight over it and they could do a task around it and so forth. I said, well, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's get it on there. And someone says, well, how do we do that? I said, well, just call Trump. 
And they said, what do you mean call Trump? I said, call Trump. I said, well, we don't know how to call Trump. So I grabbed the conference phone right in the middle of the table. I dialed nine, got an outside line, dialed information, asked for, for Donald Trump in New York City. And they said, well, we don't have a Donald Trump, but we got a Trump organization. I said, well, give me that number. And they gave me the number and I called it. And I was receptionist answered. And I said, can I speak to Mr. Trump, please? And they said, one moment. And they got me to his assistant. I said, this is his assistant. Yes, it's, her name's Rhoda, by the way. She still works for him today. I said, Rhoda, this is Jeffrey Hazel. I'm the chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak. Can I speak to Donald Trump, please? And she said, I'm sorry, he's busy. I said, I understand that. I said, could you take a message and make sure he gets it? Not a voicemail, but could you write a message? And she goes, yeah, because he doesn't listen to voicemail. I said, super. And would you make sure he gets it? Yes. I said, well, here's the message. I'm Jeffrey Hazel, chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak, and I have $2 million to spend in the next 30 minutes. And I'd like to spend it with you. And, it, and, and I said, and if you can call me back in the next 30 minutes, we can see if we can do a partnership together. If you can't call me back in 30 minutes, don't bother because I have to move on and I'll move to the next person on my list. And here's my telephone number. And, and I said, Rhoda, did you get that? And he goes, yes. I said, well, you got 28 minutes left. <laughs> and I hung up the phone and less than about 10, 15 minutes later, he called. And that's that's how Celebrity Apprentice was born. Well, let me tell you something, man. That that per, that pretty closely tracks to draw a line to the money. You just showed them where to pick up the money, and they made it happen. So that that's uh, the way to do it, it, man. You know. So I, I guess the truth is that the way to a man's heart isn't always his stomach. It might be his wallet. How about it? Could that? be his wallet, or or a woman for that matter. You know, the key thing is to know what you want and how to say it, and be as you said, a direct line to the money, a direct line. And so I've got enough experience where I knew what tripped his trigger, right? And I can remember him telling me, he says, well, the show's been canceled. We're not doing that, The Apprentice. I said, well, that's too bad. And he, then he tried to sell me on his golf course and a couple of other things, you know, which you'd expect him to do. Because that's, I mean, there's a guy that goes straight for the money, right? Yeah. yeah. And I remember I said, you know what would be cool is if you did a celebrity version of that show. And he said, um, well, that'd be really cool. He said, would you be a sponsor? I said, sure, we'd be a sponsor of that show. And he goes, well, would you tell Mark Burnett that? I said, I don't know Mark Burnett, the producer, survivor, and so forth. And they said, well, here's his cell phone number. He gave me his cell phone number, and, and we hung up the phone. I called Mark Burnett, and 30 days later, we were doing the show. Isn't that something? That is, uh, I'll tell you something, though. That's the inside track to how stuff happens. I mean, that is the way deals get made. Deals get made because people talk to each other. It's not Facebook and Twitter and <laughs> postings. And people... People who do business, they pick up the yeah. phone, they call yeah. each other. Now, yeah. they may learn about each other. They may do research about each other. Yeah. The truth is the inside track and the way you profit from the inside is by picking up the phone and making something happen. That's or awesome. deal with deal with problems. I was, I'm working on a collection issue. Somebody owes me money, and I'm on the phone with them, and they were telling me, well, we understand we had a breakdown in communication, that we told you that we didn't want to do this. I said, show me one email. Show me one conversation. I said, I've been reaching out to you guys for months. You haven't responded one way. How about pick up the phone right now? I will talk to you on the phone right now. And then I called the guy's direct line. You know, I said, I said, we got to get off this email and talk. That's the problem. This whole thing is about the fact that neither one of us is talking to each other. We're just sending emails back and forth and you owe me $12,000 and you should pay me. That's what I said. You know, when, when email first started coming out, like in the mid nineties, 95, whatever year that was, people would have these email arguments where stuff would go like in circles. Do you yeah. remember those? Oh yeah. And if it goes more would, than, if it goes more than three to five times, I say, yeah, get me off. 
Oh, it's it was it was horrible, and it's. Uh, I've even put a short code on my phone that I can type in "get me off this exchange," and I just type in the initials, and it types that out for me because I can't stand to be on these exchanges. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm mm. the same. So you got the Hero Club, you got the C-suite, you have all these different things, you got all these different executives and different people. Of all these things that you're doing, which one matters to you the most? I mean, if you had to pick one thing to put your time on, what is it? <laughs> the ones that make money. Well, <laughs> I mean, for me in my life today, uh, look, it's it's not about one thing. It's like it's like choosing, you know, which kid when you got a whole family. So I choose yeah. to look at the family, and some kids are better than others during you know certain parts of the day or the week, and and some are less, you know. And that's the way I have to look at. It. I do like what we're doing with the Hero Club right now. I think it's got legs. I wish I would have found it years ago because it certainly would have changed my life a lot sooner and quicker, you know, to be able to focus your business around real values and really making a difference. And I, I think that's been around for a long time, but I don't think anyone's been telling the story. And so that's why I did the hero factor, right? I wrote the book and I said, I want to tell people more about the story and what people can do and how they can do it. And it's not so tough. It's, it, you know, you got to make some tough decisions and, and some days, but in the long run, it, it becomes so much easier. You're so much happier. You're so much more profitable. You got so much more in sales, you know, and everything else. And you can find out real quick. You can just go to herofactorbook.com, herofactorbook.com. And I give you a free assessment. You don't have to buy the book. I want you to have you have a free assessment and it's got, three-part series of workshops and everything, things that you can do. You know, you don't even have to buy the book. If you want to buy the book, great. But I want you to be able to run your company like a hero company. And by running a hero company, you become a real hero. And there's companies like that all over the world and all over your community. You see them every day. They take care of the, the, of the little leagues. They take care of the symphonies. They take care of, of the walkathons, make sure there's people in the walkathons. And, you know, and sometimes they'll maybe even loan their money to their employees to, to pay for a funeral or maybe even pay for a divorce. And, and I see this all the time, and I just love businesses like that, and I just want to see more of them. And I want to see more people talking about them than the asshats that we hear in the news all the time. So right now, where are you in your New York office? I'm in my New York office. Yeah. But you spent a lot of time in South Dakota where your family is, right? You got the big family. Well, I love South Dakota. I, I don't get home as much as I like, but I try. But most of my children work with me, which is awesome. You know, one of the things I notice about you the most is that you post a lot of pictures with your little grandkids. I mean, really oh, I cute my- little grandkids. Well, they make me look good. You know, they're good looking. They're good kids, but they're good kids. And I, I'm a big kid anyway. And most people really know me. I like to play. I like to have fun. And, you know, I'm on the floor with them. And, and I just like that. You know, it's just something about that that just energizes me every single day. And I had to grow up really fast when I was a kid. Worked hard, you know, had jobs all my life. We weren't very rich. In fact, if you looked at it, we were really pretty poor you know, lived in trailers most of our life and things like that. So I want my kids to have fun. I want the grandkids to have fun. I wanted them to have a great life and a better life than I've lived. And so I, I just try to do that. I try to do a better job of that. I try to be a better person, you know? Well, listen, it seems to me like you've come a long way. So uh, I really appreciate, you know, you as a friend, I appreciate you coming on and sharing some of what you know about great companies and and how to turn great companies into even better companies. So yeah. thank you very much for doing that. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. And don't, you know, you keep hustling all the time. That's what I like about you too. You're insightful. You're always on the cutting edge. I mean, it wasn't recently where you and I had a conversation, you're talking about opportunity zones when most people didn't even know how to spell it. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's things like that that pop up. But I admire people who who are cutting edge and pushing it, causing a little tension. And you're not afraid to do that. And I well, you know what it is? Guys in the money business tend to hear about a lot of these kinds of things first, because immediately whoever comes up with the idea goes straight to the money. I mean, they have to come to the money to get it so that they can actualize their idea. So that's just part of being in the money business. And and then listen, both you and I, then we take the platform, we speak all over the country or wherever we go. And you're you're further than that travel, I know, international a lot. And then we share the message with people who are out there that, that need to learn and understand what it is. And I just, I want companies to take the inside track. You want them to be on the hero track, but I want the inside track, which is the best, fastest, smartest way to make something happen and then make those good companies great and great companies even better. Well, if you're on that inside track and you make it, and I know you will, if you're on the inside track, then don't forget to be a hero in the end. That's the key. Absolutely. Well, listen, we'll put your contact information in the show notes. Thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your friendship and you sharing with us. Amen, brother. Thank you. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.